0: I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus fled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my savior.
1: in
2: morning, church, and happy Resurrection Day. I hope that you're glad that you've come here and chosen to worship with us, whether you've been here for 50 years or three years or three weeks, or if this is your first Sunday, we're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us, and we have a lot to celebrate this morning, don't we? The tomb is empty, and we celebrate that this morning. I was reading through All the gospel accounts of the resurrection this morning, my favorite's in Matthew, and the angel says to the woman, "Uh, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here for he has risen just as he said. And I love the conviction in that and the emphasis, just as he said. And I was wondering this morning if we could say he is risen. He is risen indeed with just that emphasis, church. He is risen, and the church replies Let's do that one more time. He is risen. risen. Yes. Amen. I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes this morning to fellowship. Get out of your seats if you can and mingle a little bit. Find somebody that you didn't talk to on the way in and give them a holy handshake, a holy hug, high five. And we'll sing again about Jesus in just a few minutes. You to miss it i want to read this this is really good news but you church are a chosen people a royal priesthood let me start that over is that all right can you hear me okay this is just so good i don't want you to miss it it's so good this is who we are church peter tells us as the church he just got done talking about christ as the living stone the living cornerstone of our church, and we are the stones that is building his church, okay? He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. We get to sing about that testimony of our hearts right now. Are you ready? all right let's sing together I once was fatherless here we go I
0: once was fatherless, a stranger with no hope your kindness
1: the Lord has risen today
2: him rise death no longer has the final say and we rejoice in that this morning don't we when we accept Jesus and when we when we walk in the light as he is in the light and when we fellowship with him and we experience his sufferings and resurrection and he's resurrecting us and and sanctifying us um, this is this is when we go from life to life and this is when we get to claim that that death no longer has mastery and isn't that hopeful Isn't that hopeful, church? Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, We're going to continue singing about our testimony of moving from darkness to light because I think that something in us uh, is like a a child who loves a story and who loves to look back and reflect on the story. How did we get here? Darkness to light. How did we get here? What's the story? What has happened? And we're going to sing about that again with this next song.
0: i was a wretch i remember who i was i was lost i was blind i was running out of time and sit separated the breach was far too wide but from the far side you held me in your sight so you made a way across the great divide left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside and there at the cross you paid the debt I owe broke my chains. My soul, and for the first time, I had hope. Tomb of sin.
1: that you
3: If there are words for him, then I don't have them. See, my brain has not yet reached the point where it could form a thought that could adequately describe the greatness of my God. And my lungs have not yet developed the ability to release a breath with enough agility to breathe out the greatness of his love. And my voice. See, my voice is so inhibited, restrained by human limits that it's hard to even send a praise up. You see, if there are words for him, then I don't have My God, his grace is remarkable, mercies are innumerable, strength is impenetrable. He is honorable, accountable, favorable. He's unsearchable, yet knowable, indefinable, yet approachable, indescribable, yet personal. He is beyond comprehension, further than imagination, constant through generations, king of every nation. But if there are words for Him, then I don't have them. You see, my words are few, and to try to capture the one true God using my vocabulary will never do. But I use words as an expression, an expression of worship to a Savior, a Savior who is both worthy and deserving of my praise, so I use words. My heart extols the Lord, blesses His name forever, He has won my heart, captured my mind, and has bound them both together. He has defeated me in my rebellion, conquered me in my sin. He has welcomed me into his presence, completely invited me in. He has made himself the object of my sight, flooding me with mercies in the morning and drinking me with grace in the night. But if there are words for him, then I don't have them. But what I do have is good news, for my God knew that man-made words would never do. For words are just tools that we use to point to the truth. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as the word, living proof. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, giving nothingness formation. And by his word he sustains in the power of his name. For he is before all things, and over all things he reigns. Holy is his name. So praise Him for His life, the way He persevered in strife, the humble Son of God becoming the perfect sacrifice. Praise Him for His death, that He willingly stood in our place, that He lovingly endured the grave, that He battled our enemy and on the third day rose in victory. He is everything that was promised. Praise Him as the risen King. Lift your voice and sing. For one day we will he will return for us and we will finally be united with our Savior for eternity. Eternity. So it's not just words that I proclaim. For my words point to the word. And the word has a name. Hope has a name. Joy has a name. Peace has a name. Love has a name. And that name is Jesus Christ. Praise his name forever.
4: the truth, with the enormity, with the magnitude, Lord, of what it is we're celebrating today. As we just heard, Lord, we don't have the words. Thank you seems so inadequate for all that your son came and did for us, for all that you gave to us, for the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we have received to to, equip and empower us to become your children, to to fulfill the purpose you have for us. There's nothing, Lord, we could ever do that would cause that to make sense to us. But that's the depth of our Heavenly Father's love for us. So, Lord, while today we we celebrate being recipients of of this incredible gift, gifts, Lord, if you will, We, we don't want the focus this morning to be on us. But instead, God, today of all days, may we hallow your name. May we, Lord, acknowledge who you are. Lord, may we celebrate in what it is you've done. Lord, not only is Christ alive as evidenced by the empty tomb, Lord, but because of his great victory, we too are alive. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't miss that that all that we're celebrating, experiencing, and recognizing today because of what you have done. We thank you, Father, for being a God who keeps his promises. As recipients, Lord, of those promises, whether we acknowledge you or not, we live in the midst of your goodness and blessing. I pray today that you would peel back the distractions that you would, Lord, would, would remove those arguments, those justifying uh, ideas that we might have in our minds. And Lord, just leave nothing between us. We would have just this honest conversation between our Heavenly Father and your created. Move among us today, Lord. Be glorified in this place. We do, Lord, lift you up. That is why we're here today, is to celebrate our risen Savior and a God who always had a plan for our redemption. Now, Lord, we continue to pray and ask for fulfillment. That, that's the next promise, Lord, that, that we want to experience, we want to celebrate this morning. We can do that only because of all that you have done. Thank you for those that have come today, that you've brought into this place, no matter what it is or why they're here, whether they are just been a part of this church for many years, whether they're visiting with family, it doesn't matter. We're together in your presence. May we not miss the significance of that. May we not miss what you have for us today. Open our ears. Open our hearts. We want to hear from you. God, continue to be glorified and honored and hallowed in our presence and our time of gathering and our worship this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Maybe so. Well, thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning. We've been talking about a God who keeps his promises, and we've been using a passage that we find in Exodus chapter 6 where God is making his promises known to his people. Uh, the Hebrew nation, the Israelites, who for 400 years have been slaves, have been captives in, in the land of Egypt. During that time, though, they've multiplied. And they, they've grown themselves uh, from, from the family of Jacob and his sons and his children's children have grown now into this nation. they become God's people. They've not yet realized or grabbed hold of their identity. So the process of the Exodus story is God making himself known to his people, but also beginning to lead them to this land he's promised them. And it's a powerful story, story of which we get what we call the Passover. And every year, uh, the, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people will celebrate the Passover, the story of, of when God steps into their lives and, and brings them out of Egypt uh, through, through the 10 uh, plagues, if you will, God brings them freedom. Takes them into the wilderness, parts the Red Sea, and for 40 years, because of their disobedience, they end up wandering, if you will, where God continues to show himself faithful. Gives manna and quail and water out of rocks. Gives them victory and and protection and brings them to this place of promise. But it all begins in Exodus chapter 6, where God has given instructions to Moses. Words that Moses is to tell the Israelites. He's to tell them these four I will statements. These four promises God gives before they've even taken a step in their journey. God says, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. This is a group of people that largely did not know who God was, did not experience him, had not heard from him. And here Moses shows up. They, they've heard about God, but they'd not yet seen him. And now Moses comes and tells the people that I am the Lord. I will do these things. I promise what God is saying. So in the practice of the Passover. Of course, the, ten pl- the tenth plague being uh, the, the plague of death, where, where the angel of death would come over all the land and kill the firstborn son, unless your house, your, the door frame of your house, was covered in the blood of the lamb. If, if the angel of death saw the blood of the lamb upon your doorposts, then it would pass over your house and your family would be spared. So every year, uh, the, the Jewish people celebrate this Passover. And in the midst of Passover, in their celebration, there are four cups. A cup is drank for each promise that God made to his people. And when we drink of these four cups, then we are reminded that God keeps his promises, not just for the Jewish people, but also for us. In our context, we see the fulfilled promises of God through Jesus Christ. But Jesus does for us the same thing that God promised his people in Egypt so long ago. These four promises, the four I wills, I will bring you out. This is a cup of salvation, a cup of sanctification. It costs us nothing, but it may be the most important decision we will ever make. It's a promise where God takes us out of Egypt, out from the bondage of sin. God saves us from ourselves, removes the sin from our lives, and we find salvation through Jesus Christ. The second promise God makes to his people and he makes to us is, I will free you. See, God not only takes us out of Egypt, but there's also something in us that keeps us going back, that kind of wants us to go back to those things that keep us bound. God then has to do a second work, we call this sanctification in the Church of the Nazarene, where God steps in and takes the Egypt out of us. That thing within us that causes us to long for destruction, long for bondage. Fourteen times we see in the book of Exodus, the people of Israel longed to go back to Egypt because life got a little difficult in the wilderness. They long to go back to slavery because they would rather be there than die in the middle of nowhere. And then if we're honest enough, perhaps humble enough, we might be willing to admit that we're not so different as well. When life gets hard, we go to that which we're comfortable, back to those places of bondage, back to those places of slavery. But God through his great promises, frees us, he delivers us. The second cup of deliverance is God taking the Egypt out of us and allows us to participate in his divine nature and helps us to fully experience and appreciate the third cup, the cup of redemption. The third promise, I will redeem you. If you've ever been grocery shopping, you've redeemed a coupon. It's this idea of buying back, restoring to our original purpose. Jesus Christ came not to um, not only just to save us, that's the first part, but also to redeem us, to restore us, to fulfill the purpose for which we were created. That's what redemption truly means. It means to be saved, to get back on track for why we were created in the first place. And we each have a cup in front of us today. It's not one of the three cups I've talked about, uh, then perhaps it's the fourth cup that we'll discuss here in just a little, uh, just a few moments. But this past Thursday, we shared in the Messianic Passover meal experience where we partook of four cups, where we emphasized the meaning of each, where we we ended with a time of praise. We celebrated the revelation that Jesus Christ is all over the Passover and has taken his place as our Pesach, our Passover lamb. He has brought us back. He's restoring us to our initial purpose. We are redeemed people around this third cup of redemption that I want to spend a few moments this morning as it relates to the New Testament Last Supper. This Last Supper Jesus has with his disciples. We call it the Last Supper, but it is an actual alley, the practice of the Passover. He's sharing the Passover meal with his 12 closest friends. And in so doing, when we start to understand what Jesus is celebrating and what he says in the midst of his celebration with his disciples, we begin to see what's really happening what God really has in store for us. Now, I want to begin in Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 19. This is Luke's account of the Last Supper. Beginning with verse 14, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. We learned Thursday night that reclining was part of the Passover celebration. It's something different. It's out of the ordinary. Verse 15, he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. You get the first clue that this might be a little different than their other Passover recognitions. Before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now up until this moment everything would have been as expected. The 12 disciples would have been kind of following along. They've done this all of their lives. This is a significant moment for them. They understand the importance of it and what's being communicated, they think. But Jesus is about to throw them a significant curveball. What we read in verses 14 through 19, this cup that Jesus shared, this is the second cup. This is the cup of deliverance. They've already shared in the cup of sanctification. Now they've had the cup of deliverance. And it's important for us to understand what's being practiced in this moment because it tells an important part of the story that we're going to get to in just a few moments. Then we get to verse 20. Verse 20 of Luke reads, In the same way after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now that's new. They've not heard that before. What's he talking about? They surely asked one another. What we see in verse 20 is the third cup. This is the cup of redemption. This is the cup that that changes direction. Let me go back to verse 18. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So Jesus says, after the second cup, I'm done drinking. But he shares with them the third cup. And he passes this third cup of redemption to them, and he says to them, this is now my body. Whoa, 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 what? What are you talking about, Jesus? This is the new covenant that is poured out for you. Completely different. And I'm sure now they're really confused as to what's going on. But what we don't want to miss is that Jesus, this, this cup, this third cup, Jesus doesn't partake of it yet. This cup of redemption, Jesus leaves sit there, sitting there in front of him. According to the Haggadah, which is, uh, means the telling, the, the telling of the Passover, this third cup is shared after the Seder plate elements are eaten, after the dipping of the matzah into the bitter herbs, which we had a great experience with bitter herbs this past Thursday night, some, some, some that you will never forget. If you ever never have to eat horseradish again, it'll be too soon. We, we shared in the, the haraset, which is a sweet a fruit mixture, and we balance the bitter with the sweet in the telling of the story. We combine them to make a halal sandwich where we see how God uses the good and the bad in the shaping of our lives. We see this dipping occur in Matthew chapter 26, verse 23. Then there's supper and dinner, and then there's a continuation of the Seder. After supper, which is where we're at now, Jesus models for us what we practice as communion. The sacrament that we come to know as the Lord's Supper. We share in the Eucharist together. So all of that starts to make a little bit more sense now when we understand it within the context, within the framework of the Passover. But Jesus doesn't finish the meal. Now we've been studying how the Old Testament promises are reflected, that, that are reflected in the Passover find fulfillment in Christ Jesus in the New Testament. But the meal's not yet finished. There has to be more. And for us to fully appreciate what happens next, We need to understand what it means to be finished. We use the word a lot, but it's meaning is simple. It speaks of being complete. Perhaps when you finish a meal, you you are finished. You're done eating. You're full. Or when you finish a race, you've run the prescribed distance that you're supposed to run. You've crossed the finish line. You're finished. Or maybe when your kid's behavior is a little out of whack and you've run out of patience and your patience is finished. I understand. I'm right there with you. The end of a long week, your workday is finished. Or a project at home or mowing the lawn and you're finally finished. It speaks to being done. At Christmas time, you've got all of your shopping and it's finally finished. Or at home and you're doing laundry and, well, in my house, it's never finished. And some of you understand and can we relate. But it's a common phrase with a common meaning nothing overtly spiritual about it. It just speaks to being done, being complete. But we see this word or a version of of this word being finished throughout the the gospel accounts, especially in this moment of the Last Supper and the crucifixion of Christ, and it's so significant that we can't miss it. In the Old Testament, it's a Hebrew word, kalah. Kalah is used in Genesis chapter 2 when God had finished his work of creation. He talked about it being done. It was complete. The New Testament, it's a word tetelestai, and tetelestai means to be complete, to be finished. comes from the root word teleo. That might not mean much to you yet, but it will in just a few moments as we start to connect the dots and peel back the layers of God's word. And, And tetelestai means to finish, to fulfill, to bring to a close, to perform, or to pay having completed one's work. We see this word teleo, tetelestai, throughout the New Testament gospels, and they show up In the most opportune times and tell an incredibly beautiful story we jump to matthew chapter 26 verse 29 Jesus says i tell you i will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when i drink it new with you in my father's kingdom so jesus is saying i'm going to pause right here in the midst of my recognition of the passover but i'm not finished yet i will drink it again but just not right now that third cup, just sitting there in front of Jesus, still full, but not forgotten. See, when we recognize the Passover, when we talk about what it means, there's always four cups, because there's always four promises. Now, typically at a Passover table, these four cups are shared, but Jesus doesn't share in the, all four cups in this moment, because Jesus is not yet finished. There's still more he has to do. The conclusion of their Last Supper celebration, uh, there's a singing of hymns. There's a, Jesus then takes his disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he begins to find a place where he can pray. And he kneels down to pray. He's asked some to go with him into this inner circle, and they fall asleep. We know the account. So Jesus is praying by himself, and in verse 39 of Matthew 26, we read, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Which cup is he talking about? The third cup. This cup of redemption, this cup of restoration, this cup of buyback, this cup of repurchase. Jesus prays that God would take it from him because Jesus knows how much it's going to cost. Jesus knows what's ahead of him. This is not a surprise to him. This third cup, and we read in verse 42, we keep reading, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Notice the verses, they're similar, but they're subtly different. Unless I drink of this cup, God, may your will be done. See, that third cup, that communion cup that we drink when we remember, when we're reminded of his sacrifice for us, it comes with a very, Very steep price. I'm going to jump to John 19. And as you're turning there, as you're looking that up, the price of the third cup was betrayal, it was arrest, desertion, denial. He was found innocent, but then guilty. He was rejected for Barabbas, beaten, humiliated, crucified. That third cup, it's a costly cup, but it's a necessary cup. If you take away only one thing today, I pray that's the significance that we find in John chapter 19, in verses 28 through 30. This is one of those life changing passages in my life when I came to understand what was happening. I got to see what God was doing. We read in verse 28 Later, knowing that all was now completed, so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. (laughs) Uh, Later, after being betrayed, after being arrested, after being abandoned, denied, and tried, and now nailed to a cross, Jesus now says, I am thirsty. What an odd statement to make in this moment. But remember, Jesus wasn't finished yet. See, Jesus hasn't forgotten the third cup. The meal just wasn't complete yet. See, in verse 28, we see two versions, two words of of this idea of being finished of being complete. We read later, knowing that all was now completed, and this word in this context is teleo, meaning now that all has been completion, one's purpose is fulfilled. Now that my purpose has been fulfilled so that scriptures could be then fulfilled, this word is, is teleao. Teleao means to make perfect. To not only be completed, but to make perfect. So what Jesus, what scripture is telling us, what Luke is writing, is now knowing that all has been completed. Jesus' purpose has now been completed. Now that everything is about to be brought to a close. So scripture would be made perfect. Jesus said, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. Well, what a statement to make for the completion of his purpose, for the fulfillment of the reason for which he came. I'm thirsty. Keep reading verse 29. A jar of wine vinegar was there. They soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. I'm going to pause for just a moment. We see this word hyssop. It's just a plant. It's a common plant. You can buy versions of hyssop even here in, the, in, in our area as well. But the significance of the word hyssop, it, we only see it used twice in the New Testament. We see it a few times in the Old Testament. But the correlation that we're going to make today, we find in Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 12 God's given his people instructions on what to do to avoid the punishment from the angel of death. And he tells his people in verse 22 of the book of Exodus, "Go and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood, put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of your doorframe." So in the book of Exodus, the very beginning of the celebration of the Passover, God says, "Take hyssop, paint your doorframes and I'll pass over." Jump all the way to John 19 and we see hyssop being used to bring to Jesus' lips the drink the third cup so that the angel of death would pass over us still today. Verse 30, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Now I'm done. Now I've done what I came to do. Now it's complete. Now do you understand? Now do my people get what I've been trying to do? Now have I connected the dots for you? With that, verse 30 tells us he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He dies on the cross. Why he came? His purpose was finished. To tell us, die go back to Matthew chapter 26, verse 42. He went away a second time and prayed, "My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink, it may your will be done. God's will is done in this moment. Jesus has drank of the third cup. Now it is finished." But let me go back to this simple sentence. Sometimes we'll read in, in our humanness, we'll read this passage, and we see the darkness? Uh, We we see the despair, we see the hopelessness, we see the rejection, we see Jesus alone in this moment, we see the blood, we see him nailed to the cross, we think, oh, it's just an awful situation, and we hear the words, oh, it is finished, as if it's some kind of weak surrender, but it's not. This is a bold proclamation It is finished, Jesus says. It is complete. It is paid. It is fulfilled. God, my people, your people have been bought back. Their debt has been paid. They are restored. They are your people once again. It's finished. That is good news. Not only have I drank the third cup, Jesus is proclaiming, I have become the third cup. that is an incredibly powerful way to fulfill a promise that's why jesus came that's why he gave his life that's the promise we see fulfilled in and through him that's why he came why have we come why have we gotten all dressed up today in our bright spring colors and our new dresses and shoes and Why are we taking pictures or celebrating with family? What's so special about today? It's it's not just because Jesus went to the cross. Well, that is an incredibly beautiful part of our story. That's not why we've come today. So if it had just stopped there, then it really wouldn't have a significant impact on our lives. But it didn't. There's still one cup left. There's still a fourth cup for us to talk about. And we're going to get to that in just a few moments, because each gospel writer, they share the life of Jesus from their unique perspective, and each gospel writer is written to a unique audience, and that unique audience is important for us to understand. See, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called synoptic gospels because they're similar. They're similar in structure and style and what, they're, what is shared. John's gospel is a little bit different and unique, and in style and how it's written and what's communicated. I think John's style is different because John was at the foot of the cross when Jesus died, that's just my opinion. John got to see a firsthand, got a firsthand account of the crucifixion. He didn't, he ran away at first, but came back. But the synoptic gospels all share a similar account, and we see what happens next. All of them give the same version of the story. Matthew chapter 28, there was a violent earthquake. The angel of the Lord rolled back the stone and sat on it. I love that part. The angel says, this is nothing, I'm going to sit on this rock. He sits on the rock. They saw a young man, I'm sorry, the women came and the angel says, don't be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. And the angel says, he is not here, he is risen. Mark 16, as the women are on their way to the tomb, they're asking themselves, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? They get there to find that the stone had been rolled away. They saw a young man dressed in a white robe. Don't be alarmed, he says. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. He was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. I don't know why Mark decided to flip it around a little bit, just trying to be unique. I'm not sure, but he does. Luke 24, they, the women, found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they entered, they did not find Jesus. Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. The men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. See, we're here today. Why are we here today? Because the stone was rolled away. Because the tomb was and is still empty. Because the grave could not hold him. Because you were worth it. Jesus looked at Satan and said, is that all you got? Jesus is alive. That's why we're here today. Whether we recognize it or not, we live life from a position of victory. We spend much of our time fighting or reliving battles that have already been decided. Living outside of God's promises. We simply need to claim the promises of God. Resurrection is real. Death is all Satan has to offer. Jesus is life. Death has been defeated. That's why we're here today. Because Jesus is alive, promises kept. Which brings us to the fourth cup. And I'm going to invite the praise team to come because praise is a part of what we're going to partake in together today. Let me turn to John chapter 20, where the resurrection account is a little bit unique. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed. And she comes running to Peter and John. says that they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and John run to the tomb and they find it empty. And they leave and Mary stays behind and has this beautiful encounter with Jesus. There's still one promise, one I will that we haven't talked about. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. John chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I ascend to my father and to your father and to my God and your God. Similar interaction we see in Matthew 28. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, there they will see me. Let's not ignore the then statement that we see in Exodus chapter 6. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord your God, I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. And I will take you as my own people. And I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. Up um, to this point, it's been the God of, of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And through the Passover, God becomes their God. And through Jesus Christ, God becomes our God. We have a relationship with him. We have to recognize what Jesus is saying. This cup is the cup of praise when you've drank of the first three, when you've realized and experienced salvation and sanctification, when God's taken the Egypt out of you and delivered you from yourself, when God has redeemed you through the blood of the Lamb, the only thing left, the natural response, the uninhibited thing that we have to do, we can't help ourselves, is praise. That's all that's left. That's all that we can do. So when we don't have words, that's okay. We praise. God knows our hearts. He knows what he's done. He knows what he's done does to us. Now it brings to this place where we worship him. So do you know him today? He's not dead. He is alive. Whether you acknowledge it or not does not change the truth. Because of that, we drink of the fourth cup, the cup of praise. You don't know him, you still can. He's here. For some, it's just the beginning. For others, you've been waiting on this fourth cup for a long time. As he's connected the dots and revealed himself to you, you see it now. It brings a smile to your heart and to your face. Because now it is finished means something different for you. He loves you. He's here for you. He's done all that he can to bring you back into relationship with him. Too can know him. You choose to drink the cup that's in front of you. Whether it be the first cup, the second cup, the third cup, or fourth cup, you're in somewhere in your process, in your journey. I encourage you to just grab it, drink it. God will be there for you. I promise. I invite you to stand with me. I want to pray for you. And then we're going to worship him. Because <laughs> we are now people that don't live in darkness. We have found forgiveness and we need to run. I mean run to the light. God's put before us this morning God I pray for your people thank you Lord for keeping your promises thank you Father for drawing us close or for coming after us for doing all that is needed for us to walk in relationship with you I pray Father today for the one facing the first cup Maybe they've not yet begun their walk with you. They they understand what it's all about. They recognize that there's something separating you from them, the sin in their life. Or maybe they just need to say they're sorry, to confess their sins, to receive forgiveness. Perhaps there's some here today, Lord, have done that. They just find themselves struggling, this up and down of life. They just can't seem to get over the hump, so to speak. They need, Lord, for you to come and take the Egypt out of them. deal with their nature. The the reasons they keep choosing what they choose or running back to to this bondage, Lord, to find true deliverance. I think often, Lord, we jump straight to this third cup, though, this cup of redemption, without fully understanding what it means. It's about recognizing that you've come to do this great work in our life so that we could fulfill the purpose and plan you have for us not just be about having our sins forgiven, although that's an incredibly important first step. There's more to the story. And we put the three together. Then we come to this place where praise now becomes a natural response, something that we can't help but do. And Lord, I think in those moments, the world pays attention. They recognize the difference you make. It opens up doors for testimony, it gives us a witness. I pray today, Lord, there'd be nothing holding back our praise we we'll be partakers of the promises of God this morning through the blood of Jesus Christ. Change us. Continue, Lord, to transform us and be glorified in and through us. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship him together. Church.
0: I once was fatherless A stranger with no hope Your kindness wakens me wakened me from my sleep your love it beckons deep a call to come and die my grace now
4: Son, Jesus Christ, who overcame death and opened to us the gate of everlasting life. Grant that we, who celebrate with joy the day of the Lord's resurrection, may be raised from the death of sin by your life-giving Spirit, through Christ Jesus our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Enjoy this beautiful Easter Sunday.